This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello. Hello, Dr. Nettles. Yes, sir. This is Jonathan Master calling. Hey, Jonathan, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Hey, thank you for making time to uh, to talk to me today. Oh, I'm glad to. Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master. Today we are conducting our last interview on the subject of the doctrines of grace, or what are sometimes called the five points of Calvinism. On this episode, we're going to discuss the, the P, that last letter in TULIP, which stands for Perseverance of the Saints. Now, we are delighted to welcome to the program Dr. Tom Nettles to discuss Perseverance of the Saints. Dr. Nettles was a longtime professor of historical theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He served at a, a few other institutions as well. He's the author of Baptists and the Bible, which had a significant influence on the Southern Baptist Convention and its battle over inerrancy. He's also authored biographies of James Pettigrew Boyce and Charles Spurgeon. And along the lines of our topic, he's authored By His Grace, For His Glory, which is a historical, theological, and practical study of the doctrines of grace in Baptist life. So it is a privilege, Dr. Nettles. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. How did you find out all that information? <laughs> well, the Internet is a wonderful thing. You can't hide anything. Oh, that's right. No, I've Thank read, in, 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 all, in all sincerity, I have read many things that you've written over the years, uh, Baptist in the Bible, very formative in my understanding, and by his grace and for his glory. So so I didn't actually even need to go to the Internet for a lot of that. Yeah, well, thank you very much. That's kind. Now, I wanted to start with some with a definition. Can you define what theologians mean when they talk about the perseverance of the saints? What does that mean? Well, uh, just a very short version of it is uh, those that are called of God will persevere through life to the end and close their life still in the faith of Christ and have uh, eternal life awaiting for them at death. So could you unpack that a little bit biblically? What, what are some of the major passages in the Bible in which we see this, this doctrine revealed to us? Well, let's see, I think about Philippians 1, 6, He who began the good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And if we look at that within the entire context, we understand that Paul has in mind God's beginning the work in us in election, but uh, as far as objective is concerned, in us subjectively in effectual calling. So regeneration changes our hearts and changes our affections. He began that. He gives us the spirit to dwell within us. He continues to sanctify us. He causes us to persevere, and he will bring us all the way to the end. He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, when, meaning when Christ comes again. Another is Romans 8, which is a very famous passage, of course. It has that great section about nothing can separate us from the love of God, uh, neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, and all, all of those things, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We think of John 17, the prayer that Jesus was issuing to his Father immediately prior to his arrest and trial and crucifixion, where he talked about all those that the Father had given him before the foundation of the world, that he had lost none of them, and they prayed for them, that they would persevere. 
And this was, in a sense, uh, although there are other prayers that we can say were part of his intercessory ministry for us, but in a sense, the beginning of his intercessory ministry for all of his saints, not just his apostles that he had selected, but for all those who would believe on him because of their witness. And he prayed that God would preserve them, and we are convinced that that prayer is certainly going to be answered. Uh, other passages, but those I think those three and others are powerful in their indication that there will be an absolute certainty in the perseverance because of the divine preservation of God. Ephesians 1, that entire section through verse 14 where Paul talks about uh, election, and he talks about the death of Christ, and he talks about the sealing of the Spirit until the redemption of the purchased possession. That is, that we have been purchased by Christ because of the electing work of the Father, and we've been sealed by the Spirit, and then that final redemption where we are taken uh, out of this fallen world and put into a world where we see him with any, without any kind of uh, thing to dim our vision of his glory. Uh, and those for whom Christ has died and whom the Father has elected certainly will be with him. So those passages, I think, have such a wonderful context to them embedded within the entire theological spectrum of Scripture about the determination of God uh, to work salvation and redemption for the manifestation of his own glory and his attributes, and those on whom he has set his heart before the foundation of the world will never, no, never perish. Hmm. I, I think the the relevancy of that for individual Christians and for pastors in many ways is is pretty obvious, but I wonder if you could explore that a little bit. What, what do you see as the main... Um, application value that might have within a within a local church in other words why should pastors preach this apart from the obvious it's in the scriptures as i think you've demonstrated but how is it used in the scriptures and how ought it to be used in our own christian lives and in our churches well one thing i think the first thing that we always have to look at in this even if we get to the doctrine of assurance or any of the doctrines of salvation, we have to look at it from the standpoint that God does this for, for his own glory, that that he will not do anything that will diminish his glory, that will be uh, diminish his, his power. I think that we go back to the uh, prayer of Moses for the people of Israel when God said he is going to destroy them and he'll build a nation out of Moses. And Moses prayed said you know saying lord you can't do this because you've rescued these people out of israel and now the people will say you were unable to bring them into the land and all of that there's there's kind of a a spectrum of ideas that are set forth in that prayer and i think in god's providence god was in a sense testing moses and allowing moses to set forth a reality that even though that was a temporal issue and it had to do with the nation going into a physical land nevertheless there's a theological reality in that, that God will not begin something in a rescue operation that he will not complete. And so we look at the glory of God, first of all, that, that people need to rest in the fact that God is going to glorify himself in the redemption of a people. He has sent his son to redeem a people. He will not fail to redeem them. He sent his spirit to give them the new birth and to indwell them, and he will not fail to do that. And that we rest from our own labors, that we do not merit this, that it is safe, we're safe and secure in the hands of God. And so the, the issue of safety and security and assurance in perseverance begins with our confidence that God has done this. I think that's first. 
Second is, we know that when God does this, he doesn't merely release us from the condemnation of sin. He's dealing with sin in its fullness. And so he's dealing with corruption also. And people who are professing to be converted need to take very seriously that the integration of these doctrines is such that it is not something that can support us if we are not pursuing holiness. It's not something that can be any kind of comfort to us if we deny the reality that we should be repenting of sin and turning away from sin and being aware of indwelling sin. And so there is this the integration of these warnings is something that is very pastorally uh, relevant, I believe, because we can we can preach security on the one hand, but we need to preach security in a way that is integrated with the entire spectrum of biblical teaching. I was just I was looking this morning at, at Hebrews and two, two verses in Hebrews three that I think are tremendously important for the whole argument of Hebrews, where he's talking about the superiority of of Christ to Moses. And he says, Christ is faithful over God's house as the Son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the tenses are important there. We are his house. That's something that's settled and secure. But the condition of it is that it will manifest itself in a continued confidence in the hope of the returning of Christ when we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then in verse 14, again, it says something very similar. He says, for we have come to share in Christ, meaning this is a past event that has enduring results, and that is sharing in Christ and all of his benefits. Those things are ours. But then how will it manifest itself? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So that keeps the minister from simply giving sort of a blanket, shallow assurance to everyone who's ever made a profession of faith. And it sets before them the reality that not only is God removing the condemnation of sin, but he is also removing the corruption of sin. He's changed our affections. And so we can press people toward loving Christ for his glory and loving the word of God and loving the holiness that is being built in us by the Holy Spirit. So at least those two things, I think, are, are pastorally relevant in this doctrine. Well, your your second point, I anticipated the question I was going to ask, and it's a question that I've heard a number of times, that one of the criticisms that has been leveled against this doctrine and its preaching is that it promotes a kind of laziness or presumption on the part of hearers that, you know, if, if you preach perseverance or usually it's encapsulated slightly differently, if it's sort of a once saved, always saved kind of thing, then people can presume uh, really uh, uh, on the grace of God or, or perhaps uh, step back in terms of their own commitment. So it sounds like what you're saying is what pastors need to be doing is preaching this kind of assurance and this biblical doctrine of perseverance and at the same time presenting the biblical warnings. Is that a fair summary? That certainly is, yeah. Because it's a strange thing. I know Second Peter 2 talks about false teachers and all, and at the end of that chapter it, 
it talks about the, the knowledge that they have of, of Christ Jesus, says it would, would have been better for them not to have known the way of truth and having known it to turn away from it. And by the end of the chapter, he indicates that they always were like dogs returning to the vomit and like uh, pigs returning to wallow in the mire. Their internal nature was not changed. But there is something that is attractive for a, a broad-minded person and for a person who evaluates different worldviews and ideas. There's something attractive about the gospel and about the view of God that can make them sort of tie into that for a while for some degree of personal advantage. But their their hearts are not changed. Their affections are not changed. And they never really seek to know Christ in the fullness of his saving power and saving them from indwelling sin and from those destructive affections that still wage war against our soul. They they never get beyond that, and eventually those things will, will over, overcome them. And so the the message of Second Peter and the message of Hebrews and the message of First John and, and on and message of James, you know, the Bible is just filled with this kind of thing. There's something so attractive about the gospel that many people can embrace it from an intellectual standpoint and never have a change of heart. And so there's always the admonition to be diligent. I know in, in Second Peter, Peter says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot and without blemish and at peace. And so the mark of genuine regeneration, which is the only thing that will produce perseverance, is that there is a diligence to pursue holiness and to be found without spot and blemish. And these admonitions are not so much like, okay, if you, you, you can save yourself by pursuing righteousness and holiness. You can save yourself by really taking holiness seriously. The admonitions are continue to examine yourself to see if there is genuine faith in you, because if you have genuine faith, you're going to detect a real love for holiness, and you're going to detect a, con, a continued outgoing of, of energy to pursue the godliness that, that God holds before us in the Word. Since that is embedded within the doctrine, the doctrine itself does not give any kind of license. It's not a libertarian doctrine. The doctrine as it is in itself is something that promotes holiness and diligence for godliness. Last question. If this is a new doctrine to some of our listeners, or, and I think this is very likely, if for some of our listeners the way in which you've articulated it with respect to the warning embedded in it, so to speak, if that's new, where would you suggest listeners to go to learn a little bit more, to meditate a little bit further on just what the classic doctrine of the perseverance of the saints really means and what influence it really ought to have on their life? Well, um, there are some books by Sinclair Ferguson that deal with the, the work of the Holy Spirit and that deal with holiness. I think if they locate uh, works by him, he really leads us into contemplation on the nature of the pursuit of holiness. Uh, Jerry Bridges has got a book called The Pursuit of, of Holiness that I think is biblically sound. I believe that the uh, the Second London Confession of the Baptists and the Westminster Confession of Presbyterians uh, it has an article, I think it may be Article 17, on the perseverance of the saints, and that's a very succinct statement that has scripture proofs with it that will lead a person to t- think systematically about this doctrine. And I think all of those would be very 
edifying ideas. I think John Owen's work, <laughs> if someone wants to really uh, plow into to this, John Owen's uh, volume on the Holy Spirit has some sections in it that would just be very powerful. But there are different levels at which a person can approach this and still be within the, the framework of theological soundness in investigating the doctrine. Those are great recommendations. And Dr. Nettles, thank you so much for your work and for your time with us today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Jonathan. Thank you very much. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is supported by donors like you. You can contribute on placefortruth.org or via alliancenet.org. And I want to say thanks again for tuning into Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.